0: Being a dad isn't always easy, but it's the best thing I ever did. I'm constantly improving myself to be the best dad I can be through fitness, nutrition, mindset, and lifestyle. As fathers, we pass on many things to our children, such as our mindset, our habits, our attitude, and what we've learned along the way. Each of these will shape who our children are and who they will become. The Warrior Dad's mission is to help you become the healthiest version of yourself, to hone your edge, and to live with purpose. My name is Jim Bartamy, and this is the Warrior Dads Podcast. Hey, before we jump into the interview, whether you're a long-time listener or a first-time listener, I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you. I know there's a lot of podcasts out there, and I'm honored that you would choose this to listen to. Uh, in addition to that, thank you. I wanted to ask you two things. If you do like this episode or any of the other episodes you've listened to, could you leave a comment or a review or a rating? That would really mean a lot, and it really helps out the show a lot whether you're listening to it on iTunes or Spotify or Anchor or whatever platform, um, please take 20 to 30 seconds to leave a nice, honest review. And the second thing is that we can continue the conversation on Facebook and continue to connect and support each other over there in the Warrior Dads uh, private group. So um, if you're on Facebook, I'd really appreciate you to just, you know, click join and connect with other guys that are looking to become stronger, healthier, happier, better leaders, etc. Okay, let's jump into the interview. Hey guys, thanks for tuning back in for another episode of the Warrior Dads podcast. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Zach Mathers. Zach is a husband, a father of three, and believes life can be messy and hard and we were never designed to take it on alone couple that with the fact that he himself has actually suffered with alcohol addiction and the shame associated with it so realizing the paralyzing power of shame zach created and hosts braving the journey podcast which is dedicated to exploring the stories of others their struggles and victories through life zach thanks thanks so much for coming on the warrior dads podcast
1: yeah jim thanks for having me it's uh yeah it's a pleasure to be here
0: yeah man i mean we um you just got actually linked up i was i was looking to you know meet more people than just on you know instagram or facebook or something like that so i was like you know how you know finding more clients or uh, clients finding more uh, podcast guests and we just got linked up with this matchmaker.fm and you were literally the first one to reach out to me so um, it was like within maybe three hours of posting
1: my podcast
0: and putting it up there and i was like wow this is great so well, that yeah, means you
1: got a that means you got a good name and a good logo going for yourself because <laughs> because you know I mean honestly on that that's like the first thing you see you're like oh yeah I like that I'm gonna talk to that person.
0: Thank thank you. As I yeah. was just mentioning to you a couple of minutes ago, uh, quote unquote off air, I designed that logo. I just kind of like I said I I felt I feel like dads are everyday warriors. Um, you know, we hear weekend warrior thrown around and stuff like that. And the word warrior, I guess, gets used a lot in today's culture. But yeah, I feel like, you know, we're everyday warriors as dads. And I said, well, how can I portray that? You know, I think the Spartan Spartan helmet or or something like that, because it's a customized helmet for me. But I feel like that's a pretty iconic thing when you think about a warrior. And then I was like, how can I make it like an everyday thing? And so I've been drawing since I was five. And I'm, you know, somewhat creative. And so I thought putting the necktie as the nose piece yeah, I love in, it. In, into the, into the helmet would be cool. So thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, you know, when you reached out to me, you, you got one hell of a story and <laughs> I mean, I'm serious, you know, yeah. and um, you got one hell of a story. So I just really want to kind of get, get right to it. I mean, you, you know, you have like this, uh, this passion to help people, right. And you're helping them yeah. while you're also dealing with something you're at yourself. And so you're kind of feeling like, all right, well, I'm trying to help these people, but I'm not, I'm not doing what I need to do for myself. So how did, how did that all start?
1: Uh man. So, I mean, yeah, my, my story goes, you know, I, I think ever since I was a little, like, even since I was a little kid, I've always had this like desire, and passion to, um, just support people, help people make the world better. It was kind of just like, di- like designed into my DNA, if you would say. And,
0: uh, you're just a natural caregiver.
1: Yeah. You know, and, and it wasn't out of this, like, it never was out of this space of like, Oh, I, I'm trying to be loving and caring to others and do all these things. So I can avoid myself. It, it wasn't ever there. It was, it was just truly like my passion. I like I liked working with people. I still love, you know, working with people. Um, mm-hmm. but then just, you know, reality is like life got hard. And, uh, do I mean, do you want, do you kind of want me to give you a little bit of like a cliff notes of my story or what What do you kind of want to hear right now?
0: Yeah. What led you to the path of, well, I mean, you just kind of mentioned like, you know, where, where you kind of started with wanting to help people. Yeah. Well, so yeah, I wanted So to how, help how, how did, how did you start helping people? Like, you're like, all well, right, so I know, it, I know I want to do this, you know, you're a teenager, you know?
1: Yeah. And so at you're the beginning, an adult now be- all of
0: a sudden you're like, all right, I still have this desire to help people. What am I going to do with it?
1: Right. So, I mean, for me, um, right. It was right in college when, um, I really got a stronger passion for working with people. And I, uh, started a nonprofit with a couple of buddies in college, uh, Called Braving the Journey. And what it was was the concept was we're going to take off around the world, connect to other nonprofit organizations that exist, and come in and help put together like a media kit for them to be able to get the word out what they're doing. And so when we started doing that, um, we were working a lot in, you know, East Africa, India, Thailand, and working with like um, the rebel soldier kids or child prostitution. And this so when my, you were in college? I, this is, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I, I'm 19 at this age. Uh, Wow. And so we just took off and we bought a bunch of film equipment and um, just started filming these stories. And what, you know, what we found in the story process was um, the most vulnerable out there were the orphans, you know, these kids that were just had nobody, no one left behind it. So my heart really took a shift um, for caring for the orphans, and on that on that first initial trip around the world and um kind of through this whole time i met my wife in college so we've been married like 15 years and up like to now 15 years but you know i met her i start this non-profit um i take off traveling at the end of the end of uh the time traveling she flies out to indonesia meets me there i propose to her um and we kind of both had it in our minds that we were going to go live overseas and probably start an orphanage, you know? So we studied, we went and traveled through South America and all these different places, like studying different models of orphanages, like big or small, what worked better? Why, why this, why that? And we, you know, we really dove into it. And then, um, we found ourselves in, in the States and, um, but at this time, we were in Seattle, Washington, and we were part of a little community helping do uh, kind of a church plant. So we were part of this kind of church plant, and then we moved to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And once again, we find ourselves in the similar role of another church plant. And this time, I'm a, uh, I'm the lead pastor, you, you would say. Um, and I'm only 22 at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I, I step into this role of, you know, we have a church of about like a hundred, 150 people, uh, but I'm young, newly married. Uh, I got my kid coming, uh, my, my first, my first child was about to be born and, uh, and where were you living when you, and in, in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. So in, like North Idaho,
0: okay. um, so you're already back by that yeah, point. You're not overseas.
1: Yeah, no, we're not overseas. We're not quite, you know, and at this point I'm kind of leading a small community of people. And that was what I was doing as far as like I so Was where you are born time, Idaho? Full time. Yeah, I was originally from Idaho, like went to college in Southern California and kind of moved around a little bit, but kind of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho was always, always home. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and so for me, what happened was I, I found myself in this position of, uh, still really young i got married at 21 um kind of looking back i'm like man i felt like we did everything really at the early on like young age uh-huh. um i was the first first of my group of friends to get married you know we're i'm senior pastor of this church at a really young age where looking back now i'm like ah i w- would have loved somebody to come alongside me and said hey listen um your ambition is great uh but give, your, give yourself some time and some wisdom to grow in life, you know, and because uh, what happened was I found myself kind of leading this big group of people. And for me, I, I didn't know how to deal with my own internal um, struggle of feeling like I was inadequate as a leader and feeling when things would get stressed and the tension I didn't know. I didn't know how to handle And So to uh,
0: so looking back now, do you know where that stemmed from? Do you think it was because you were so young? And you felt like I "I don't have any gray hair. What kind of advice am I supposed to give here?
1: Yeah, I think there was some of that. There was some of the um, just kind of like I would look and see, you know, I'm 22 and I would see 40, 50 year olds, you know, in our community and they're looking to me for wisdom. And I'm like, gosh, man, like, you know, and instead of just being transparent and real and going, man, I'm really struggling knowing how to lead or do this, you know, I would try to like grit my teeth and fake it, you know, like, all right, we'll just do this. And you know, and, um, I think I've learned a lot now, you know, I'm 37 now, but looking at it, I go, um, I don't know what it was, but I felt like there was, there was some aspect of weakness attached to admitting that I didn't know what I was doing. Uh Um, you know, where, where now I'm completely happy to be like, I don't know what I'm doing. And, uh, the best part about not knowing is, is being able to find people and go, Hey, can you help me figure out what we're doing? You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. So checking the ego. Yeah. You know? And so I was, um, so we were right in this season. This was kind of the, this is where my life kind of blew up for me and by my actions, but we, uh, um, you know, I'm leading this church. My son is just born and, uh, the church was financially struggling a little bit. So I go out and get a second job. So I'm working two jobs. Son was just born and I ended up having uh, an affair on, on my wife. Um,
0: and with somebody you worked with or.
1: Yeah. Somebody I met at uh, the, I was, I had my second job was serving at a restaurant. So somebody I met with there at the restaurant. Yeah. And so I, you know, I kept trying to, put on this mask and this facade and kept living as this pastor and trying to hold it together in my, my house. And I was just, I mean, I was, I was just torn up inside with shame.
0: How long did that last um, for the affair?
1: Uh, a couple months. Okay. And then I probably a couple months and I probably sat on it for a couple months after that, uh, not saying anything about it, like shut it down. But I, I just, I think at the beginning, I thought maybe I can live with this. Maybe I can hide it Mm -hmm. and and bury bury this deep inside and uh, I'll be okay. And then for me, I just, I knew I couldn't, I couldn't. And so I was willing to face all the consequences that came with my actions.
0: Um, So you just came, so you just came clean? Yeah. It's not even like you got caught or it's not even like the the other girl or the other woman started trouble and came out. Nope. Wow.
1: No, no, nope, Good was, for you uh, though, man.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. That you just, you know, you I, owned up to it and it's like, all right, I gotta, I just gotta take my punches.
1: Yeah. You know, the reality is we're going to, we, we all have a tendency to fail in life <laughs> at different times and stages. It's just a question of like, you know, what do we do with it? And, uh, yeah. you know, I know, and my wife's a strong, strong-willed, amazing woman. Um, and so this wasn't one of those things that I was going to come to her and say, Hey, I did this. She'd be like, Oh, that's okay. You know, it was like <laughs> it was one of those like, you know, like situations where I knew if I came to my wife with this, it's done, like it, it's done. And uh and that's the thing is like I didn't want it to be. I uh, you know, it wasn't like my marriage was terrible by any means. It was um and so, yeah, when I when I shared with her, she packed packed up herself and, and our son and took off to my parents' house. And so I Remember, I, I had to call my parents and say, hey, my wife's, my wife's on the way over to your house, and this is what I did. And we'll talk about it later, but just please take care of my family. Um, and then I had to call the church and say, hey, uh, called the the elders of the church and the board of the church and say, hey, this is what I've done. Um, so all within a 24-hour period, it was basically a, my wife and son were gone. I lost my job, and I lost my community, and I lost all dignity I
0: felt like I had in in the community. So all the committed. elders in the in the church just turned their back on you?
1: No, I wouldn't say they all turned my back on me. Um they when you when you say the,
0: like you lost your community.
1: Um I mean like I wasn't gonna just show up to that it, it was hard for me to say like I'm gonna try to go to the same church and be around with the same people. It it just I think I had too much shame mm-hmm. around it. Mm-hmm. Um but no I, I had I still have some of those people that were part of that community that are close, close friends. Uh, one of the guys, I remember he was the first guy I called after I told my wife and called my parents. And I, I called him. I said, hey, here's here's what's going on. And he just came over. I mean, he came over and he spent the whole night in, with me in my room. And he I literally, he just I remember him just holding me and, like, I just cried. You know, we just cried and he helped me. He just, he didn't have answers. He didn't have solutions. He just sat with Uh me and that was it. Um, and he's been, he's been a friend, you know, through and through. And there's, there was a lot of people in that community that have, um, you know, been big supporters. But for me, I felt like there was so much shame attached to my actions that, um, I kind of went down that, this kind of dark road of, you know, I began to try to self-medicate my, my shame with alcohol. And so, You know, at this point we're separated and I start drinking to kind of just cope with, you know, everything that was going on inside.
0: Yeah. So, you know, this is going to be so common,
1: right? And it doesn't necessarily have to be the
0: exact same situation where it's like, okay, someone cheated and they have the shame from that, but just shame with anything.
1: Oh man. I think, you know, the more and more I do, I've been doing a lot of last couple of years, a lot of research on shame and, um, the more and more I I study it, the more I realize how uh, paralyzing it is. I mean, I think it really does paralyze us, you know, and if we're talking about like, you know, this idea of being dads and fathers that really step up, you know, if we're carrying around shame in any any capacity or any form, it shuts us down. It shuts us down to fully be like who our kids need us to be, who our wives need us to be, who – the community, you know, it, it just, yeah, it has a lot more power than I think people have given it credit for. Mm
0: -hmm. So, so, okay. So you're starting to drink, you still got the shame. How Mm -hmm. long did that last for?
1: You know, I, I think for, for a while with the drinking, I was able to kind of grit my teeth and say, okay, I'm not going to drink at all. I'm just going to, I'm just going to muster it up. But I was not at all willing to admit like, Hey, I'm an alcoholic by any means. I just said, I'm not going to drink. Because I, at that point, I was, I, my eyes were completely focused on going, I'm, I I got to do everything I can right now to try to save my marriage. Um, so, this isn't helping. And so, I mean, I started getting into, I got into a really great therapist, started doing a lot of my own therapy. And he was one that even was like, hey, I think you got a drinking problem. I was like, nope, I, I'll, I'll just stop that. Um, and I did. I was able to stop for a while and um, my wife and I got back together and- I mean, this is like cliff notes to this, you know, it was a long journey for us to like get through a space where we were actually back together and we started, we were doing counseling as a couple together and we were working through a lot of stuff. And, um, but when things kind of settled again, and we were kind of back to a norm and a rhythm um, and life got stressful because life just gets stressful, whether it's finances or, you know, whatever it is. I found that I would pick up a drink, you know, on the way home from work, or I would, I would grab a six pack and drink it in my car on the way home. And, um, and so I realized I was like, man, I'm a closet alcoholic. Um, and it wasn't until so about seven years ago, my wife and I, we moved, we picked up and we moved to Hawaii. And, uh, it was about a year into living here that I think I finally was able to admit. And I, it was partly because I had, great men in my life around me that were able to say hey um we think you got a problem man and at that point i was able to say "Hey, i think i got a drinking problem and i went to like an outpatient treatment and started taking aa really seriously so you're already and... back
0: with your wife when it's like you're still so, so your wife comes back and you still have the shame
1: yeah i did so i think that's you know, interesting
0: just, too right i it's think like... well i think
1: yeah just because just because she came back it didn't negate the fact that I I still did what I did, you know? Um, And even though she was able to say, "Hey, like, I choose to forgive you. I choose every day to wake up and say, I'm going to choose to forgive you for your actions. It still didn't, for me, I think I had a harder time going, how do I forgive myself? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's, so I I lived in this, um, there's probably, Eight years, you know, where um, I knew that I I know that I'm kind of designed to work with people to uh, that's just part of my nature. But because of my shame I carried for so long, I I believed this lie that I had no more. I I didn't have a voice anymore that I screwed up too big, too much that I I don't have a a voice to speak truth into anyone else's life. And so I lived with that. So, you know, I, I just did normal jobs to pay the bills and uh, but never kind of push forward with the things that were on my heart anymore.
0: Uh
1: And then, uh, yeah. So about, you know, I think five years ago, I I, I finally took this looking at the shame and looking at what's the root behind it and started really exploring that for myself. Um, And, you know, started taking my, alcoholism seriously and not and not have shame around that because i did at the beginning it was like this shameful thing to say oh i'm an alcoholic and i have to admit that really um where now i can comfortably say yeah like my mind um reacts differently than yours or other people's does when i put alcohol in my system you know it's 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 just the way it works and it's not that thing to be ashamed about it's just something i'm aware of and i choose not to drink because it doesn't add any benefit to my life You know,
0: And so how did you let go of the shame? Because I think that's probably if, you know, whoever's listening and if they're experiencing any of the same thing or if they've ever experienced it, you know, it's like hearing, well, what worked, what, what's right. that thing that's like, all right, maybe I can do that too. And that'll help me. Well, I think uh,
1: I'll be honest. I think this sucks. I don't think there's a magic formula. Um You know, I don't, I don't, I think, we live in such a culture that is automatically always looking for the three steps to success or the three steps to, (laughs) you know? Yeah.
0: The um, one, two, three, you know, or like one, two, three, just just do this, just do these four things and you'll, I don't know, get to sleep or whatever it is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's like this, like, Oh, if you do these three steps, you don't have shame anymore. And and I'm sorry to say like what I, I, my belief is we are all unique. Our stories are unique. Our, uh, who we are is unique. So what may work for me it may not work for somebody else. True. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and I think like the what, old saying what,
0: goes like there's more yeah. than one way to skin a cat. Although I don't yeah, know where absolutely. they came up with, I don't know why they chose this cat for that example. But uh yeah, I don't, <laughs> we don't skin we don't
1: skin cats that often. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think um, that I think that is pretty old. So. <laughs> yeah.
1: But yeah. So. But my, yeah. So you know, know, what, me, what worked for me, you? What worked, Um. It was it was a lot of things accumulated. I, so I think the biggest thing that I would, I would say to somebody that maybe in this spot of, they felt stuck in shame or they're stuck in an addiction uh, or they're just stuck with this, you know, this, this guilt that they carry, whatever it is. Um, biggest pieces though, is don't give up. If some, if you tried something and it didn't work, don't throw in the towel. Go look around and go, okay, what else could I try? What else could I try? What else can I try? What else can I try? Because if you continually keep trying things, something's going to stick. Um, you know, and I did, I did. And when I say I tried, I went to, uh, a pretty serious outpatient treatment program for my alcoholism, where we focused a lot on internal stuff too. Um, I went to, I've gone to marriage therapy, personal, like counseling therapy, um, all these different things. But I think for me, what really shifted the shame piece for me, um, it, it, what, what I did was I began to ask this question um, of myself of going, okay, when, when I think back of the affair or I think back the times I, I drank and I screwed up and there's shame attached to that, um, I would simply ask the question, what is the lie? in that and then I would say and then what is what is the truth that it needs to be replaced with and I would sit and just listen for the truth to kind of come up and it always would um,
0: and what I mean by that
1: is is so for example the, the lie I, w- I would constantly believe was I screwed up too big I'm a failure I'm no good you know and so if I could sit and go okay what's what's really the truth You know, and I would sit and just listen. And like, honestly, there was this like call. You want to call it a voice of love or call whatever. But there's this like this conscience inside of you that goes, no, that's not true. Here's what's true. You're you're a man that loves your kids well. Um, You love people around you well. You are human and you failed and you picked yourself back up. And that's okay. And when I began to start believing that. um, So anytime I had a negative thought about myself. I would just choose to say, okay, what, what is the truth I need to replace it with and refill it with, with a positive.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so you're essentially rewriting the story that you're telling yourself in your head. That's kind of how I've heard people describe yeah. it before and yeah. things that and, I've
1: done. I mean, Cause I, I honestly, if you would have asked me four years ago to sit down and tell you that I had an affair and that I'm an alcoholic and let's have this conversation on a live podcast, uh, I would, I would have said it absolutely not because there was still something to it for me that goes, Oh, if people really know me, then maybe they won't like me. If people really know me, maybe they'll see me as a, you know, failure and this stuff. And something, you know, it just shifted where I was like, you know what? Like, that's a story for me to tell. And, and because I think there's others out there that need help with it. Yeah. And I think, you know, and my wife was actually on my podcast, um, my wife was the one that interviewed me. I was like, babe, I think I need to tell my story. I've, I've asked all these people to just be raw and honest with theirs. And yet I haven't told mine. And so, um, I said, can you, can you be the interviewer? And she was like, sure. You know, as so we sat down one night, put after the kids are in bed and she just fired away questions. And, you know, t- I told my story for the first time.
0: Wow. That's awesome. Publicly
1: like on a, on a platform like that. right?
0: Yeah. yeah I think so- a lot of people have that, what sounds to me like, you know, fear of being judged, fear of being vulnerable. But I mean, it's like okay, so you have, you know, we don't want to be vulnerable. Maybe we don't have a fear of being vulnerable, but we don't want to be vulnerable because we have that fear of maybe being judged or what other, you know, what else, what somebody is gonna say or all that. But like you said, you embrace it because it's made you who you are today, and you've learned lessons because of that, and then you get to help somebody, which we've already heard is a passion of yours and that's something that you knew you wouldn't mm-hmm. do as a kid so now it's like all right well anybody dealing with this i get to i get to help them too
1: yeah i mean the truth is is i understand addiction a lot better than because i've i've kind of gone you know i've gone through mm-hmm. uh, my struggle with alcohol uh i understand shame a lot did you feel but like but you had an I... addictive
0: personality before that because it's actually yeah, one thing I, that i don't I, I, understand I think... at all uh alcoholism
1: or, addiction or just... addiction anything um i think i do but i don't know what that even means to be honest either like addiction addictive personality or not i don't know um I, i'm one i am an extremist i guess you would say like i like for example we had the iron man race in Coeur d'Alene, idaho every year it would come and it's a you know extremely long triathlon um, and there was just one year i was like oh i'm gonna sign up to do this it looks fun and I didn't even own a bike. I didn't know how to swim, um, but yet I, I did it. I, I went for it. So I think my personality type is kind of extreme, where I'll I'm willing to go for it on anything. And I think that can have a negative effect sometimes with with um, substance also. Mm-hmm. But I, I the best way I've heard described um, addiction is um, okay. I'll give you this quick little little description that made the most sense to me so inside of our brains imagine that our brains um, are like two kinds of rocks like a hard rock and a soft rock a hard rock you know you could pour water over the hard rock over and over and over again and it, it never actually creates a groove inside of the rock and then you got a soft rock where you start pouring water over it and it, it automatically makes a new channel for the for that water to go and and they've been done research that kind of shows an addictive brain is kind of has this softer material so when you introduce something into your brain like a substance like alcohol or a drug where one person they could have it and they have this hard brain that it it hits their brain and just kind of washes off or the other person it automatically creates this groove inside their brain that says this is good i want more of this Mm -hmm. and so you have this kind of addictive brain that when the substance of choice your your brain hardwires to it quicker than it would for others, hmm. um, is kind of how i've I've heard it and understood it, you know. And so, and it's still, it still, I still boils down to a choice. Just because you have an addictive personality doesn't mean that you know you're going to become addicted to something or not. It just means um, I still think at the end of the day, you choose to put the substance inside. Right.
0: You know? I heard a good so, definition um, from one of my mentors, and he says that an addiction can be defined. Uh, what is it? It's any any repeated behavior that does not produce the results you want. Hmm. Any repeated behavior that does not produce the results you want. And yeah. so, I was like, yeah, that's that's the way I think of it as, it.
1: as any repeated behavior that um, allows you to avoid something inside yourself that you need to address. You know, because there's a, there's great there's great healthy behaviors. You know, like but you see that you see people that take exercise to an excessive amount. And a lot of times I like to look at them and go like, what are you, what are you running from? What are you, you know, there's something rooted inside of you that you're avoiding, Mm -hmm. you know, but your, your addiction looks really healthy on the outside actually, but you're, you know, you're completely neglecting your children and your family at the same time. Right.
0: Or creating other internal health problems that you physically can't see on the outside. Right. Yet. But yeah, but they look like the epitome of health with, you know, whatever percent body fat and stuff like that. And I've known people like that too, clients like that and, um, have just heard many stories, um, about people that have an issue with it or they're, they're doing whatever they need to, um, to look a certain way, you know, and get down to a certain percentage of body fat, but they got gallbladder issues, they got chronic headaches, they got skin issues, they're unhappy, they're depressed. I mean, it's just like, what, what, really? Huh? <laughs> and, you know, but, but chemically there's problems. Uh, like you're yeah. saying, there's, there's some kind of void that's not being filled. Yeah. That's, that's such a good point.
1: Yeah. So, but you know, and I, I, I honestly can say, I think I can contribute a lot of my choosing to continually work on myself um, to my kids. You know, I got three, three kids myself. My oldest is 12. It's my son. And then I have two daughters. And um,
0: and you're also foster parents too, right? I mean, not, and, not, yeah. not currently. We, but yeah. I mean, you you have been.
1: Yeah, we we've taken for the last ten years. Um, we've had some kids live with us for up to two years, and some kids, you know, with us for a couple months. The foster system's a weird world. You kind of never know how long or or when you're going to get a kid. So,
0: mm. and how is it? How is but, it for uh, your kids when somebody new shows up, and then also when they have to leave? Because I'm assuming, like, if it's good if it's a good relationship that's built between yeah. between the four of them, right. Cause you have three, three children and then, you know, a foster child that might come, you know, what's that like?
1: It's uh. so my, my, my family dynamic is definitely not the the norm, <laughs> um, you know, cause what, what we find is, you know, for example, we had this one little girl that came and lived with us and she was with us for about a year, um, And we, man, she just connected with our family, like just fit in perfect. And, uh, it even came towards the end and the, the court system was like, Hey, it looks like she's going to come up for adoption. Would you guys adopt her? And we're like, yes, absolutely. We'd love to. And and right, right when that was kind of going through, um, her grandparents kind of showed up in the picture, hadn't been in the picture at all, kind of showed up and said, uh, we want her. And so we kind of backed out of the situation. She, she went and lived with her grandparents and, uh. But my family, we all my kids had to go through a season of of, we all mourned like we lost we lost a kid, you know. And uh, and so part of the thing like that fostering foster care has taught us is how to celebrate when we have a kid with us and how to handle change and how to mourn together as a family. Like we really do. We kind of we intentionally go through kind of a mourning season after a kid leaves. And and then as a family we kind of asked the question like, Hey, are we ready to have another kid come back into our house? And until my, all my kids and my, my wife and I are able to say, yeah, you know, we don't do it. Right. Um, and some have been easier than others. And some of, you know, some of the foster kids we have, I, I, I can tell you that I've taught bad behaviors to my kids, <laughs> but you know, these, these kids are the, these kids are the ones that nobody wants. You know, we had this, 16-year-old kid recently that came and stayed with us He and he got he'd been kicked out of every boy's home there was on this island and the other islands and he he had nowhere to go basically they just called said we had nowhere else for him we know you guys don't usually take in teenagers
0: Um, and how old's your oldest
1: my oldest is 12 and we've always tried to keep kind of a standard of we don't take in kids any older than my oldest um you know there's i mean there's a level of the reality of protecting my children is, is utmost most importance to me.
0: Yeah, man. And,
1: and so, uh, but yeah, we, we said, yeah, we'll take the 16 year old in and he came in and, um, I sat down with him on the deck that first night and I just said, what do you, what do you need for me? Like, that's my only question I got for you is what do you need for me? So, cause whatever you're doing is not working wherever, every other place you're at. And he just said, I just need your attention.
0: That was that's it. it?
1: I was like, that was it. He like, I just need your attention and to me that was such a profound thing that he was aware of uh, and i said sure you got it you're not enrolled in school right now um, and i'm in the middle of remodeling a condo so you get to come to work with me every day and uh, and he loved it you know he worked every day with me and he he just wanted attention he just that's because he he's never had it in his life no one ever no one ever gave him
0: time. what the hell were people doing with foster kids if they're not paying attention to them
1: uh, that's the hard thing is there's a lot of, there. I don't want to say it all. There's a lot of great foster families out there and there's a lot of other foster families that, uh, aren't in it for the kids' sake. They're in it kind of What for is the, it then?
0: Was well, there a tax benefit then, or some shit?
1: Yeah, you get paid. There's money. Really? Um, yeah. You know, I think you get in every state's different, but like state of Hawaii, you get like six or 700 bucks a kid for the month. Which I'm like that that barely feeds them and gets them around, yeah. but you know, but if you get enough kids in your house then then you you know you could pay pay for your life, i guess I don't know
0: that's crazy uh, and a lot, a but lot of but I've actually you know, the had fosters. some other people on the podcast before, and um one author john prather he uh was on he, he, he has foster children, and i am pretty sure if I remember right, i mean it was a little while ago since I talked to him, but it's like a process. Like You got to go through a pretty, pretty big process to become a foster family, right?
1: You do. I mean, you got to take like a six week class, and they got to do a home evaluation and a home inspection, and, and all these things. But it's um,
0: like an online form, and then boom, you're approved.
1: No, no. I mean, there's a process, but at the same time, you know, there's there's right around half a million kids in the foster system in the United States, and there's a lot of times there's not great homes for them. You know, like there's not enough good people stepping up to say, let's do this. Let's be foster parents. And especially for like the teenagers, you know, everyone, everyone wants to take a baby in.
0: Um, right.
1: But nobody wants, nobody wants to take a
0: teenager. So, uh, so you, so you so, asked him this one question. He gave you this awesome answer. Yeah. You gave him what he needed. What did the foster care system say? Like what did, you know, whatever they're called, like uh, not a sponsor, uh, but case, like, case, case workers. Case, yeah, exactly. What, what was their response when they're like, Oh my God, look how well this kid's doing here.
1: Well, I think that was it for them. That was the big thing. They're like, cause he's ran away from every other home he's ever been at. Oh, so
0: and He out. ran away. He, he, ran he away got kicked or, out, but I didn't know if he he was like actually he, running he, away. He, well, both. He did. Wow.
1: He, he ran away from some, and got kicked out of some um, <laughs> crazy. And so, yeah, for, for that, for the caseworkers, I think for them, it was like, you know, they just kind of saw it as like, we don't know what you're, we don't know what you're doing over there, but it works. He, he likes being with you guys. You know, and he's a, you know, kind of local Hawaiian boy that always makes fun of the white Holly people. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're we're a you know we're a white Holly family. And He's like, oh hey, this is my Holly family. You know, and I'm like, well, yeah, it's true. Man, What's a Holly family? Holly's like a white guy in, in Holly oh, Like, uh, yeah, like a Holly. or a, or a kook. A kook? Uh, <laughs> yeah, they got they got names for the, you know us. Over That's here. funny. But I know it is, but. He, he, yeah, he just needed attention, you know, and right now he's doing really well. He, um, got a chance to go into like this kind of program where he gets to come out with his like GED and kind of military style training program. And, uh, it's like six months long. And so he's, he's in that and he's doing extremely well. He's, I mean, the fact he stayed in it is amazing. Uh
0: So, but yeah, um, yeah. I think, I think, but I yeah, think my, kids know what they need to a certain level. Like at, at, at some level uh, yeah. they know what they need. They might not want to admit it, you know, like, you know, you see it all the time in the movies, like the kid doesn't want structure and the rebellious and all that stuff, but they need that kind of stuff to a certain extent. Yeah. Right. Obviously too much of anything is bad. You know, you run it like a dictator, you run your house like a dictator. Yeah. That's not good. Right. But then if you just are so apathetic, you're like, yeah, whatever, do what do, whatever you want. Then kids don't, kids don't respond well to that either. Like no, I need, need some need, structure. Need structure. I need some yeah. help. You know, it's like I can't do everything on my own. Like, I, yeah, I want a little independence, but I don't want all of it.
1: No, and it's age appropriate. You know, the goal is is that by the time they're eighteen, that they are contributing members of society that know who they are and their identity and are strong in that, and they walk out of your house going, you know, I, I know who if I am. If that's the case, I, though. And, yeah.
0: Right. Cause there are so yeah. many 18 year olds that are maybe didn't get the attention that they needed. And it's like, they, they yeah. don't feel like, a, they don't feel like that kind of member of society.
1: No, but that's my, that, that, I mean, like I look at my kids and uh, I I want to know that I create a space that helps create some structure for them to, to grow into who, who they are. But at the same time creates a space that goes, Hey, when we mess up, it's okay to mess up here. And this is the safest place that you get to learn how to do life. And, uh, you know, cause I think it, it takes both. It takes this structure and going this, this is kind of what we do. And this is the rhythm of our household and our family. But at the same time, when, when you mess up, like this is the place that you're going to experience the most grace and love, you know, because the world's going to be tough out there. So at least we can have each other's back in, in the home. So one of the things my wife and I, we try to do is we try to, we try to be consistent about just dating our kids. Um, you know, like my son and I will go surf. We try to go once a week early morning before school. And we both will, he, he'll he say it as much as I would, that sometimes it's not even about going to find the good waves. Sometimes it's it's, for us, it's about the conversation on the way to the waves and on the way home that it's just him and I in the car. And we get to have just real honest conversations, mm-hmm. you know, and same thing with my girls, you know, I want them to, I want, we, you know, my wife and I try really hard to create space to say, you know, let's give one-on-one time to date our kids and do just special little things with them that, you know, is outside of the norm of the daily routine. Right.
0: I've never heard of that concept, dating your kids, but I mean, it makes yeah, sense. Yeah. You know, I just, never... yeah. And like,
1: even you know, my girls, I kind of want them, I mean, honestly, they're going to, they're going to go probably date somebody in the future of their own life. I want to set the bar for what a good date looks like, you know, to them. I want them to experience the person that opens a car door for them and closes it for them. The person that, um, you know, op- does, does the things that, that kind of set a standard going, Hey, my dad knew how to date really well me. And so you better be able to, you know,
0: treat me like with respect. Yeah. I just wonder so, how that would be perceived if she said that she was dating her dad. Yeah, I don't right? know. I don't know. She might have to say it. She probably She might have to say it she's she's like, a different way. I'm forced hang out with my dad. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's like one of those Tell situations, like she's like, "Wait, wait, not everybody dates their dad. Like, wait, yeah. like, oh, oh, that's yeah. not a thing. Wait, that's what? not a thing." You guys, you, you
1: guys do <laughs> so. they're still young. They're like four and seven right now, so they become awesome. Right? So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's that's definitely important, and I think that kind of ties in. Like, you know, w- with you setting the example and you being there as, as, as the male figure in their life, that kind of ties into your question that you had asked me right before we, you know, we went live and we were talking back and forth. And I said, I want to jump right back into that. Um oh, yeah. But I, of course I wanted to get to you first and, and have. The audience hear more about you and, and then lead us up to this point but you you know you were asking me like how I came up with the podcast idea and, and why I created it and then you kind of said like where where did things go wrong or how, do you remember the exact question you had
1: well with with like uh, the dads
0: and just you know setting examples and being there and it's just kind of like you know it's it's gotten fuzzy of like you
1: know oh i think we we're yeah we were kind of talking about how like i i think i said like i love that you're doing the podcast because i feel like women have a tendency to do a better job at kind of self-growth and supporting each other and doing these things where men just kind of do this like oh this is the way it is
0: mm-hmm. and oh you said and then we, we've given know, up it, yeah well, I mean, men, just, men
1: you know kind not of
0: we kind no, <laughs> we,
1: but like just the, the, the father figure in general, I think is kind of pushed it off. you like, Oh, my wife will deal with that. Right. Or it's her role. And I'm like, honestly, I think we're in the most fatherless de- generation of children ever because, and not, not even saying that the fathers aren't even there. I'm just saying they're not present when they're even there. Um,
0: you know, and, and my response to that, that I was going to say, you know, that I've, that I said, you might be familiar with the association and I've, I've talked about this before, um, you know, because we're, we're portraying where we're being portrayed in society as like the goof in the TV shows and the movies, right? Yeah. It's not, you know, it's, it's the Peter Griffins, it's the Homer Simpsons, it's, you know, just like my my son will just watch these these different shows out there, and the dad's just kind of like a goofball. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with being goofy. Don't get me wrong. anybody listening, it's like, don't get me wrong. I I love being goofy. I could be silly and all that kind of stuff. I can laugh and, and play and all that. But you you have to be taken seriously. That's what I mean by a goof. It's like you know, yeah, okay, dad screwed up again, or dad's the clumsy guy, or dad can't fix this, or he tries to fix it and it goes away, and then oh, just call somebody and you know like just unable almost Mm
1: -hmm. in, in so
0: many different aspects, you know? And so I'm just like, why is it? And maybe it's just the funny aspect. I mean, you don't necessarily have to have a, And that's the other thing. Like you don't have to have a drill sergeant on TV to be the dad, but you can have a good, strong father figure or male figure on the show. And it's just like, you know, who can be funny and silly and show both sides of it instead of just being this, you know, idiot. Yeah, Yeah, you know, like I was like, yeah, like, so I'm like, why is there not this dynamic? But then now we're living in this society where if we're trying to be more masculine, now there's, you know, this idea of toxic masculinity and all these different terms that are going along with it or stigmas in certain, you know, parts of the media or whatever, but it's, you know, it's making its way in the mainstream magazines and like i think it was gq that had pharrell on the cover and it's like modern masculinity or something like that and he's got right. like that ridiculous dress looking thing on that looks like a north face jacket but i'm like what the hell is this you know And I mean i'm like what does that mean modern masculinity i'm just like should a man be empathetic yeah should a man be compassionate yeah but should it be to the point where like men are just inherently yang and women are inherently women but and I've said this before too. If you look at the yin yang symbol, there's a little yep. black dot inside the white section, and there's a little white dot inside the black section. So it's not just all or nothing, right? There's a there's part of, a part there, of it, yeah. and, it and, and each one completes the other one. So it's like, what's wrong with that? Right. Right? You know. I mean, I, I don't. Yeah. So I, I
1: I I agree with you. I think there's a I don't, I, I don't know if I want to contribute at all to just society or media or culture, but you know, there's, there's a part that's been kind of stripped away of the, the male of being, being, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a father, what it means to be a husband, what it means to, um, show this. But I, at the same time, I think, um, partly the male culture has let that be taken away from them. And absolutely. And, what I mean by that is that almost goes back to this shame again, like because um, we, do, I think the male have a tendency to wrap up their identity and who they are in the what they do, what they accomplish, you know, versus looking at the the root of like now who am I if I stripped away that the job I did and uh, all the different things that we, you know, identify with, if we strip those away, can we still be this masculine male? That leads our family well. You okay. know? Cause you don't normally hear, you know, for me it's always been one of those things like, guys, the first thing you usually do when you meet another guy, hey, what's your name? Great, what do you do? You know, we kind of define ourselves by what we do. And if we were to strip that away, you know, I love asking people, so who are you? What are you about? What do, you know, and the reality is, is if we can live in the root of who we are and what we're about. And step into this role of actually being good husbands and good fathers. And, you know, the world, the world needs it. Our kids need
0: it. Yeah. No, I agree. You know, and, uh, I, I don't know if I've ever said it like on, you know, on the podcast, but like one of the reasons that I, I did create it is like, I was seeing, you know, certain, certain things in my life, not necessarily with myself, but just people's reactions, to hearing how i was showing up in my own life you know whether it was me saying something just as like part of the conversation or my wife saying like oh yeah you know we did this we did that or jim jim did this or you know whatever and people's reactions like really he he does he does that and what and i'm like wait you don't have the same experience or like that's not happening for you or what you know so i was kind of you know because that's just You know, I, I feel like my parents did a really good job of raising me and I have a younger sister and I've always just been like, felt like uh, a protector and it's just something ingrained in my, in my DNA. I, I, you know, I, uh, relate to what you're saying about helping people because I've always felt that I wanted to help people and it's, you know, pretty, uh, pretty obvious with what I do today. And so you know, I'm just like, I, I want to help my family out. I want to help my wife out if she needs help. If she's struggling and she's got a call or something like that, it's like, hey, you know, I'll, I'll make your lunch for you. What do you, what do you want? Yeah. You know, and I just want to help her out. It's not because I'm, you know, as well, nobody's ever told me this, but it's like, it's not because I'm like whipped. Right. As like some guys <laughs> would be like, oh, you know, you're just helping her because you're whipped or, or something. It's not because of that. It's just like I just we have a strong yeah. marriage. Uh, actually, in two days, it's going to be our 11-year anniversary, and
1: oh, thanks, right nice.
0: yeah, and uh, not doing anything. A corona, <laughs> a coronaversary.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, my wife and I had our 15 this year. We were supposed to go over to East Africa, and yeah that got shut down and was like oh, east africa man. we were gonna go to so,
0: dinner in the city and you're going to east africa we're supposed to <laughs> well yeah, yeah
1: we we we, we haven't planned a big trip just the two of us in a long yeah.
0: time so we've actually never so, been away from our son you know we have we have a son he's eight years old and we've actually never yeah. spent a night overnight or out or anything like that since he's been born oh no yeah way. like i mean we'll come home late and i will already be in bed we know, yeah you know mom dad or our parents will be, you know, someone will be here watching him or something like that. And that hasn't happened in a while either. But, yeah, we've never spent a night away from him because any, anywhere he's we've like ever what? gone, we've always brought him with us. And that's one of the kind of cool yeah, things. I'm like, true. all right, well, you know, we wanted to have a bigger family. That was our original plan. But we, you know, we have one. And we're like, all right, he's awesome. He's got a great temperament, great personality, very adaptable. Um, you know, it goes with the flow. And we're like, you know what? We're going to go to Florida. We're going to go to California. So he's been to California twice. You know, it took me. It took me till I was 15 to get on a plane, and he was on a plane at 13 hmm. months. And, yeah, no, and he did my great. Kids,
1: my kids are this the same. They've well, partly we live on a little island in the middle of the Pacific, so anywhere you go, you got to fly. Yeah, but you know, they. But one of the things we started doing with our kids was, I think I read it in a book, so it's not my original idea, but I took it and I liked it. Was uh. On my kids' 10th tenth, tenth birthday, they can pick anywhere in the world to go on a trip just with mom and dad. You know, so my son had his 10th birthday two years ago. and um, So you got to pick. You got to go go on a trip with just mom and dad anywhere in the world. Um, you know, and I kind of figured he would pick like Indonesia or Japan. I, I was pushing my, my agenda <laughs> and, and <laughs> where I wanted to go. But he picked Denmark out of all places. So, yeah, we went to Denmark. Nice.
0: What's you doing what yeah. do in Denmark?
1: that's the thing i had no idea uh we like we stopped off in new york on the way but then uh we he loves legos
0: right. and
1: that is where the lego factory is that is where they invented legos there's this little town called Belund and uh so we went and found the factory and we found the town and we explored legos and on um, and then at the same time you know we we went to like sweden and and Explored a bunch of other places along along the way, but that was kind of our like, all right, we got to go find this place. That's awesome. So, yeah, you know, and so it'll be fun. I'm excited to see where my where my where my girls go. I want to go here with mom and dad. Yeah, you know,
0: when they, when they turn ten. So that'll be cool. Yeah, that's really cool. We'd probably say we want to go Hawaii. <laughs> you already, live. yeah, right. That's
1: what mo- most people are like. Let's go Hawaii. <laughs> we live here. and We're like, where's the cold place? Bro? Right. That's, cool. let's just,
0: let's, you know. that's actually, I do want to go to Alaska.
1: I had never been. My wife's from Alaska too. Actually, we have family in Alaska. And I've, I've I've never been up to oh, Alaska. Wow.
0: Yeah, we wanted to, we wanted yeah. to, we were actually planning on twenty twenty one doing the cruise. Um, oh, but oh, nice! That's not happening. So <laughs> we'll just have uh, to put that on hold forever. COVID. Yeah. Uh, yep. I yep. don't know. Well, Zach, this was awesome, man. I, I, can't, I can't let you go just quite yet because, as you know, every episode I ask 10 questions um, to every guest. Those questions were inspired by James Lipton. Uh, okay. And so, you ready? Um, yeah. <laughs> you already read them, so you better be ready. I know I, didn't, you know.
1: I read them, but I didn't really
0: actually come up with my answers. So, really cool.
1: it'll be spontaneous. You go, you go for
0: it. Who is your hero?
1: My parents, both of them, in each unique way. Mm -hmm. Okay, keep going. What excites you? Uh, My first response
0: is my wife. Cool. Love it. What turns you off? Mm Oh, what turns me off? Um,
1: Watching somebody put somebody else down.
0: Mm -hmm. I think that's the first time I heard that. What is your favorite sound? Hmm. It's the sound of a surfboard leash
1: banging up against the surfboard as you walk out to the waves. Nice. There's this
0: unique sound to it. What is your least favorite sound?
1: Least favorite sound? Huh. Probably my kids throwing a fit. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What is your favorite quote or saying?
1: Um, I hold pretty strong to the the one that says, "Love is patient, love is kind. Does not envy, does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. But it keeps no records of wrong." Um,
0: yeah, that's kind of my my, my mantra life. That's awesome. Do you have that on a wall or something? Did you just read that, or is that in your head? I have. I know
1: that. I have that one. Wow, head, actually,
0: that was awesome. So. Uh, in a few words, what should a dad be?
1: Hmm. The dad should be loving, kind, compassionate, um, but also strong and an umbrella that their kid, their family could come under. I think i want to tell you this, the best way I ever heard it said, a friend of mine said it at the, the end of an email, and I don't even know why it stuck with me, but it was this idea that um, the ceiling in which we create in our lifetime becomes the floor in which our, our kids' life springs from. And I've always held on to this idea that whatever I create in my life, whatever I, I do and create is the ceiling that my kids get a launch off from into their life.
0: Mm. And so, so yeah. That's really cool. I like that. And the opposite, in a few words, what should a dad not be?
1: Oh, ov- overly angry, overly judgmental. Um, yeah, I just, I hate seeing dads belittle. Belittling their, their kids is one of the worst things
0: I ever uh-huh. watch. Agreed. If you could try any other profession, what would it be?
1: Oh, I've always thought it would be fun to be a pro surfer. Cool, not gonna happen. Not gonna happen, probably in this lifetime. No. <laughs> but, but uh,
0: you know. Yeah. And finally, what would you like to be remembered for?
1: Um, that I loved well. That I just I loved people well.
0: Nice, awesome, Zach. Tell everybody where they can find out more about you, your podcast, um, where they can connect with you on social media, all of it. Yeah.
1: So uh, easiest way to find me is uh, braving the journey, you know, so everything from just websites, braving the uh, Instagram's braving the journey, Facebook's braving the journey uh, podcast, braving the journey. So that's kind of centrally where you can find uh, more out about what I'm doing. You know, I'm starting up a group session coming up pretty soon, which I'm really excited about. It's uh, helping take people from a place of addiction to living inside of their identity. And we're kind of going to do like a, a, a ninety-day group session through.
0: Nice. So. You're gonna do that on Zoom, or yeah. what platform you use. Yep.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's all. Yeah. All through Zoom. Okay. Right
0: now. Awesome. I'll, I'll have all the links. Yeah. To your social media sites and to your podcast, I'll link that up in the in the show notes. And um, yeah, man, this was great. I I just think yeah, it's like Jim, such a small God. world um
1: it is and i do i value the fact that you're you are creating these conversations because i think they need to be had more and so uh i i do i love you got you got a new fan here like i'm excited to keep listening to your other episodes that i haven't listened to thank episode. you man appreciate that but yeah
0: all right man well i will uh we'll stay in touch and yeah have a great weekend yeah you too all right everybody later Hey guys, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Warrior Dads podcast. If you like this podcast and want to support it, please subscribe, leave comments and share it with someone you think would benefit from listening as well. Thanks again and keep on being a Warrior Dad.